0: And welcome back to another episode of Dispatches by Holly McKay. Today we're going to be talking about a war hero, an Afghan war hero by the name of Mohammed Wali. And, uh, Holly, uh, tell us a little bit about this man and what he did in Afghanistan.
1: So yeah, Muhammad Wali is—you um, know—he was just a, a very decorated Afghan commando, and and when you hear um, special forces guys in America that worked with Wali. Speak of him, you just sort of see their face change and they say, you know, he's this very sprightly, very half happy kind of non-assuming Afghan man. But, but, you know, they'll tell me, you know, he's, he's gotten more kills than everybody here combined, basically. Um, so, you know, really for, for many years, he, um, you know, was just an incredible, uh, fighter fighting for his country alongside Americans. Um, and, and really was somebody who believed in, um, the cause and and believed in sort of the U S liberation and believed in, in fighting for Afghans freedom from a Taliban rule. So, um, you know, he's just one of those incredible people that again, you know, most people won't know his name, but his story definitely uh, deserves to, to be remembered. So, um, I, I was lucky enough to sit with Wally. He's living in Utah, um, now just sort of outside of Sundance. And, and I sat with him and, and he's got um, a lot of kids. Um, <laughs> we had tea and, And he said that, you know, he remembered as a child, he would look up to his uncle, who was one of the, Commanders in the Mujahideen, which of course were uh, backed by the United States and were um, fighting the Russians during the Soviet war there and he got killed so that obviously and then his father was wounded and and then the um, the Soviets was always kind of looking for his father, so his life um, as a child was just was very much growing up in war. Um, he talked about how his cousin lost his eye and he had a, another um, he lost one of his brothers and then he lost a sister and so you know this is the story of most afghan children that we forget they grow up um you know with these horrible traumas of war and and that becomes something that that so many of them that's really all they know and that's i mean that's so sad to me you know and we often take our peaceful childhoods here for granted and and it's something that um you know afghans certainly don't have and and so when he had the opportunity to to fight, um, particularly after the September 11 attacks, I think he was around sort of 18 at the time and just immediately went to become a bodyguard uh, for his uncle um, and just eventually learned that Americans were there, you know, training and, and there was a, a small base that he could go to learn. So he kind of... Uh, Talked his way in and eventually became a sort of a team leader and, and was sent out on, on many, many dangerous missions from basically 2008 to 2015. And so almost every day he was on a combat mission. And if he didn't have a combat mission, he was training. So, um, this was just an extraordinary amount of time in, in a war theater. Um, and you know, what the Americans would tell me was he was just, so committed and was just so, um, you know, looking out for everybody and just one of those really incredible people. And, um, you know, and of course, the Taliban threats uh, really started um, and then they started escalating against his family in about 2013. Um, so while he really knew at that point that it was no longer just about his life, um, that it also was about his family's life. And, and he said that he remembered receiving a call uh, from the Taliban during the holy month of Ramadan. You know, warning him that they would find him um, and that they were looking for his whole family. And, and they said if they didn't find him, uh, they would kill or kidnap his kids. And, and so he was constantly having to, to change homes. Um, you know, and at that point, he qualified for a special immigration visa. Um, but you know, it still took two years of, of paper pushing to get that visa through. So, um, that was obviously a a very challenging time to, to still be out there as a commando and then trying to protect your family from increasing threats. And it really, it took two years for him to be able to finally get that SIV and, and come to Charlottesville and Virginia. Um, and you know, he had five children at that point, he's now got eight, but, um, you know, it really wasn't the American dream he had imagined, and I think this is what a lot of Afghans or all refugees really often experience. And he, you know, he was living in a decrepit housing block. He was earning, you know, eight dollars an hour working at a gas station. Um, you know, he didn't have any sort of support systems. He lost all his family. Um, you know, and 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 one day he was at work and just received this weeping call from his wife. And, and she was just hysterical and said a person had been shot dead outside their window. Um, there was obviously some sort of gang rivalry that had happened. And and it was just such a reminder of the life that they thought they left behind. So he realized that, um, you know, this this living, this kind of what was supposed to be an American dream just wasn't and he needed to take charge.
0: Yeah. So what did he do? When, I mean, you know, cause that's, and I, and I've heard that kind of, um, uh, immigrant from a war zone story before you see it all the time. I mean, you know, you, you go to dinner and, and hang out with, with people and you can, you can hear the scars of hardship in the conversation at the table. Um, I mean, even in my own family sometimes, um, but, uh, so so here's this guy, right? I mean, you know, according to your article, he, he went on like 1500 combat missions during the time that he was, he was a commando, which is an extraordinary number of, yeah, of times really being in the field. Um, and there he is uh, in, in, um, in the United States. Yeah. So, struggling. Yeah,
1: that, yeah. So at that point. So, so uh,
0: where does the story go from there?
1: Yeah, at that point he went onto Facebook and, and just sort of happened to see, um, you know, somehow through the algorithm, um, uh, you know, a person you may know that, that looked like a soldier called Jeff, who he'd worked alongside with for basically almost a decade and, and was lost contact with and, and all the Americans when I you know, including Jeff, had said that they were all told Wally had been killed. So they were sort of all under the impression that Wally had, had died in Afghanistan. Um, and so, you know, Wally reached out to Jeff on Facebook and and Jeff was um, you know, just absolutely shocked that he was alive and, and let alone um, in the United States. So it was really with Jeff's help um, Jeff was living in Utah that he was able to help Wally relocate his family to Utah. And, um, and he got a job working in the warehouse there for Black Rifle Coffee, which is obviously run by veterans. Um, and and they also have um, a magazine that I've written for as well, Coffee or Die. And so he was able to sort of come to Utah and, um, you know, live in a place that had beautiful mountains. And, and as his wife said, it was just like Afghanistan and, and, you can make a, a lot of those comparisons, actually, with Utah and Afghanistan. Um, so, you know, he he came and and really just, I think it's a struggle. You know, he'll he'll say it's it's very. Uh, especially when the fall happened last summer, you know, you always have that, that struggle as a fighter, as a, um, you know, somebody in exile that's sort of on the outside looking in at their country. And I think it's, it's, um, you know, it's a very, I can only imagine just a very difficult and challenging thing to really process when something like that happens. And, um, you know, I think for Wally, it is, um, you know, Afghanistan is still his home and his heart and it's hard to be that far away, but, um, he is working now with the, the Liberty blockchain team who I'm also working with, um, and, and, you know, traveling and working in security and, um, you know, doing a, just back with, you know, a lot of the guys that he worked with previously. So, um, he's sort of an amazing, um, human being.
0: Yeah. So in essence, I mean when you really think about it, um, it's uh yeah, he's he, he he and I think a lot of other vets, I think that were part of the whole experience in places like Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, you know, they 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 feel the loss, but in in a sense, when they find each other, there seems to be this sense of community that redevelops the that brings them all back together. And do you find it heartening when you see that happening?
1: I think it's always heartening. I think, um, you know, we, you grow, you grow very close to people that you work with, uh, when you're in, um, these very hostile places and you immediately sort of form bonds and, and there are always those special interpreters or special, um, uh, drivers or special, uh, fixes or special, um, soldiers or whoever it may be that you, you form these bonds with and they, they really last a lifetime. So I think, you know, it, being the sort of person that Wally is, is he was really um you know he he touched a lot of people and he saved a lot of american lives and and i think people look at him with a a tremendous amount of respect and again that's the sort of story that that i'd like to tell when whenever i can whether i'm overseas or i'm back in the united states i think um you know we can't forget these these people that really do sacrifice everything
0: yeah well definitely so and um Oh, and you know, quite honestly, it's it's um if there's anything that that characterizes your work, it's the ability to define the these vignettes of people that uh, are special in in not only to the people that they have impacted their lives with, but special to the story of how things weave even in the middle of tumultuous places. So, thank you for that. Um, yeah. So with that, um, another Dispatch by Holly McKay, and hope you enjoyed it. Thank you, Holly.
1: Thank you, Dennis.